everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope the content encourages you and helps you build your faith. Now enjoy the message. Uh, Book of Philippians is the book of joy in the Bible. Now catch the contrast here, okay? Paul is writing this book from prison. He's been in prison for four years, and he is awaiting his execution. He's already been sentenced to death. Isn't it ironic that the book written about joy is a book by a man who is in prison awaiting a death sentence? Wrongfully accused, awaiting to be killed, yet he writes a book on joy. No less than 16 times in this book with four chapters is joy specifically mentioned, and no less than 50 times is Christ mentioned. What is the overarching, that is more per times per chapter than any book in the Bible, that Christ is mentioned and joy is mentioned. Why? What is, what is the overarching message of the book of Philippians? That our joy is found in Christ. Paul says it over and over and over. Go home this afternoon and read the book. It's four chapters. It'll take you 15 minutes, and you cannot finish this thing without saying, my joy, full joy, complete joy, the only joy that can satisfy is found in Jesus. Let's get to the book. Philippians 2. Hey, guys, I'm going to start with verse 18. Hate to throw you that curveball last minute, but go to verse 18 because the first, it's, we're, we're going in Philippians 2, 14 through 18, but the first three verses all add up to the conclusion of verse 18. So let me give you the conclusion and then we'll go back through. You good? Sorry. Give me a thumbs up. Give me a thumbs down. It doesn't matter. I'm going to start with verse 18. I love you all. Philippians 2, verse 18. He says, yes. You should rejoice. You're getting there. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. A couple more. That way. That way. That way. Just stay right there and I'll come back to it. I'll just read. It's one verse. Hey, stay right there. (laughs) Man, could I screw our production team up any worse? Stay on 14. I'll be right there. Verse 18. Yes, you should rejoice. Hey, are you you guys messing with me right now? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, let's get to the stuff, right? (laughs) Point taken. I humbly submit to those in control of the mics, the camera, and the computer. All right, verse 18. Yes, you should rejoice. Come on, you should rejoice. And I, Paul says, will share your joy. You should rejoice and I will share your joy. Philippians 2 verse 14. This is all leading up to that conclusion of him sharing in our joy and we should be rejoicing over these things. I will bring this home here in a moment. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Oh, we need it one more time. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Everyone's flipping out. world's crooked, the world's perverse, all these things are happening. It's been happening forever. That's nothing new. Paul was talking about it in the book of Philippians. Crooked, perverse people. Verse 16, 
hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Verse 17, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Sitting in a prison cell, chained to a Roman soldier, awaiting his execution, and he's saying, I'll rejoice even if they kill me. I'll rejoice. I'll praise the Lord. Why? Pouring it out, talking about his life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. We've been all over the place already. I'm going to give you a little mini sermon right here. Okay, What does Paul say? Even if I lose my life. He's saying, even if they kill me, I will rejoice. Why? Because I want my life to be poured out like a drink offering. In the Levitical sacrificial system, the drink offering was a complementary offering, okay? So you had the main offering, which was the animal, and it was placed on the altar, and it was lit on fire, and the flesh and the blood would begin to burn, and it would fill the temple with this aroma that wasn't very pleasant. So then someone would come along with the drink offering, be it a sweet wine or some sort of juice, and they would pour it on top of that offering and it would create this sensational aroma to the Lord. The drink offering was a compliment offering to the main offering to make it even better. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, let me be just a compliment offering to the main sacrifice that makes everything better. (laughs) You're going through a challenge right now. You've lost your job. What does Paul say? I will rejoice anyway so that people will look at me and they'll see my lost job and they'll say, wow, even when he loses his job, he wants to make sure that he's complimenting Christ, that I'll still serve the Lord and I'll still trust him for provision. Maybe you've gone through loss. And in the middle of that loss, you're saying, okay, I am still going to serve the Lord. I'm still going to be a drink offering for him. I want people to encounter me and say to themselves, wow, they just lost somebody they love, yet they still compliment Christ so well. How are they still full of life? How are they still full of hope? How is there still a smile on their face and a praise in their hearts because they've decided, even if it kills me, as long as I'm a drink offering, as long as I am just, as long as the kill doesn't go to waste, as long as they just pour it out and it makes Christ better, as long as my life just makes Christ better, you can have it. As long as it, if I die, that's okay. As long as I am a drink offering to the main offering. Such a cool image that Paul gives. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. He says, and I want all of you to share that joy. Verse 18, yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. It's a story told of a man who was going to visit 
a family member and he hadn't seen him in a long time. So he drove to his farm and when he got to his farm, he started driving down the road of this old windy, uh, you know, rock road. And he gets to the farm and he looks over and there was a barn that was behind the house. And on the barn, there were 20 targets all over the side of the barn. And he walked up and he looked at the targets and he saw a one shot in every target straight through the bullseye. Wow, it's impressive. So he goes up to the house, he knocks on the door, and his uncle answers. He says, Uncle Buck. He said, man, who, who's the sharpshooter around here? And his Uncle Buck smiled, and he said, ah, he said, that's me, sonny. I'm the sharpshooter. And he says, wow. He said, Uncle Buck, I didn't know that you could shoot like that. That's impressive. He said, how'd you get so good at shooting? And his Uncle Buck said, oh, sonny, that's easy. He said, I shoot the hole first, and then I just paint the targets around it. I feel like that's what a lot of us do with our joy. I feel like a lot of us just take aim and fire at something. This new job is going to bring me joy. Pow! Now I'm going to paint a target around it, and this job is going to bring me joy. And then we wonder why six months in I'm still as frustrated, negative, complaining, and out of life as I was before. We look at a new relationship, and we point a target, and we just... We shoot it, we paint a target around it, and we say, that person didn't make me happy, so this person's going to bring me joy. And then six months in, we wonder why it's the same relationship over and over and over. We tell ourselves, hey, let's have a child. That'll make us joyful. I meet with married couples that are struggling that say, well, we're thinking about having a kid. Maybe that'll bring some joy into our life, right? I'm like, if you think it's hard now, all the parents are laughing. You think it's hard now. You think 10 months from now all your problems are going to be solved. That's a little fresh for me right now. A little fresh. But what do we do? We just, pow, that's going to bring me joy. And then on the outside we're painting targets on everything, acting like we're joyful and acting like we're happy. But inside we keep wondering, why do we keep missing the mark? Why don't I shoot like I think I can? Why am I missing it every single time? I thought this new career would make me happy. I thought this new person. I thought this new family. I thought this new life. I thought looking at this. I thought drinking this. I thought these things would bring me joy, and they haven't. What am I missing? What we're missing is this. The only one who can satisfy the created is the Creator. The only one who can fully satisfy your longing is the one who created you. So what did the one who created you give you to satisfy you in his presence? Fifty times Paul mentions it, Christ. Fullness of joy is found in Christ. The fullness of satisfaction is found in Christ. So we've hammered that home. It's in Christ that I find my joy Now Paul, in four verses, gives us four things that will steal that joy. We're going to walk through all four of them. You're going to see how to stay joyful, the way Paul puts it, and then I added a kill joy to it. How, what will kill your joy if you don't? Paul gives them to us very clearly. I'll give you the first one, and you'll see where we're going. Philippians 2, 14 through 15, he says, Do everything Without complaining and arguing, if you want to have joy, if you want to live a joyful life, 
If you want to bring your joy back and you want to restore joy and quit shooting at different things, trying to figure out the target that's going to make you joyful, the first thing you have to do is stop complaining and arguing. What will steal your joy? Complaining and arguing. I don't know that anything robs somebody of their joy quicker than complaining and arguing complain about and and look at Paul do everything if you circle that in your Bible that is an explicit command in the Greek let me tell you the difference it's not implied it's explicit it is it's not implicit it's explicit there are two different kinds explicit means you've got no choice implicit means I'm just implying hey you know don't complain and you know no he is saying I don't care what your excuse is I don't care what you have to say about it I don't care what's going on do not complain. Do not argue. Complaining will, excuse me, but I don't know how else to say it. It will suck the life out of your family. It'll suck the life out of your marriage. It'll suck the life out of your kids, out of your household. Complaining over and over about everything. And and, and make no mistake about it. Complaining is a spiritual battle. Complaining is a spirit. Because what is Paul telling us complaining will do? It will steal our joy. So the enemy will hit you with a spirit of complaining. And all of a sudden, everything is a complaint. I I, I run into these people. I have no capacity in my life for complainers. Over and over. And, And then what do complainers do? He says, don't complain and argue. All the complainers right now are so mad at me, they want to argue with me about this. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. Bible can't mean that. You want to argue about complaining, right? It's a spirit that hits you. Look, look at the, they complain about everything all the time. Let me give you an example. Middle of summer in Texas. Don't be this guy. Man, it's so hot out here. Golly, I'm sweating that it's 102 degrees and the, and the humidity's 200 degrees and I'm going to boil out here 15 minutes later inside. It's freezing cold in here. What you got the AC set at? 62? Trying to freeze me to death? Just complain. It was too hot. Now it's too cold. We just complain about everything. You say, hey, it's a beautiful day outside. Yeah, but you've seen the weather for next week. It was rain all week. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be miserable. Just finding something to complain about. Listen to me. Complaining is a spirit that will steal your joy. You have got to stop it have to. It's explicit in the great. Paul is saying, you ain't got a choice. Stop. Just cut it out. Catch yourself. Surround yourself with accountability. Anna and I have an agreement. If one of us is complaining, you have full right to to set me straight. Hey, stop complaining. And I can't argue with it. Why? Because if I do, I'm doing exactly what Paul says is robbing our joy. I was friends with a lady who was the CEO of, at one time, St. Luke's in the woodlands and she had us to the office for a lunch and learn and we were we were there and we were having lunch she was so gracious to us and we, we sat there and we just we just asked her questions right major major player in the health administration industry and so I'm talking with her and I'm asking her questions and I said hey how are you guys so good at customer satisfaction? And she said, we have valet parking. We have, you know, room-style service meals. We've upgraded our waiting rooms to nice seating and everything else. And I said, no, that's all, that's all great. Where did you guys think to do all that? And she said, let me tell you a funny story. 
So we had, we had somebody who came to this hospital and they could not breathe and we gave them emergency surgery, emergency surgery to save their life. They would have died within 60 minutes of not getting this surgery and we send out a customer satisfaction survey afterwards and they complained about two things, uncomfortable chairs in the waiting room and the food wasn't very good. Saved his life. Saved his life. Well, food wasn't very good. Yeah, chairs were a little bit uncomfortable. But do, do we do that? Do, our lives have been saved by Jesus, and we complain because someone sat in our seat somewhere. Someone took my parking spot, and I had to park two rows up, walk down. It's raining outside, but I don't even get wet because I've got a parking garage and a breezeway. But man, it's just, it's raining. Don't know if we need to do it. Don't know if we need to be. He saved our life. He's totally transformed us. He has redeemed us. He is guaranteed, sealed our name in the Lamb's book of life. We'll be in eternity with Him. We're going to complain about the weather. We're going to complain about it being rainy next week. That's what Paul is saying. It steals your joy. It robs you of joy. The quickest thing you can do to restore joy in your home. We're bringing Mary back, right? We want to have a joyful, happy, lively Christmas. Quit complaining. Don't complain if you're eating too late. Don't complain if people are... Just stop complaining and arguing. And joy will begin to come back. Number two. I told you it's going to be pretty straightforward. Philippians 2.15. Paul continues. He says, live clean. If you want joy, live a clean life. And he ain't talking about your diet. He's talking about the things you do, the things you look at, the things you say. He's saying, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What steals our joy? Living in impurity. Looking at things we shouldn't be looking at. Doing things we shouldn't be doing. Hiding things in secret because we think that maybe we'll find a little bit of joy and a little bit of thrill outside of something somewhere. And it's robbing you of your joy. It's stealing you of the life that Christ wants you to have. And notice about all of these things, right? Uh, I, I, I did a load of laundry uh, last week and I ruined three of my favorite shirts, one pair of my jeans, and, and a couple other things that weren't very important. Why? Because one of my kids put a thing of Play-Doh in the, in the washer, right? I'm like, what on earth? Like, well, I wanted to clean it. <laughs> That's fresh, guys. That's fresh. You want a clean Play-Doh. So you throw it in the washing machine while I'm doing my, my laundry, right? But what happened? What was a little contained ball spread and destroyed everything. Impurity will do that in your life. What you think is just happening with you and nobody else in secret will begin to spread like a cancer. And it will begin to kill relationships. It will begin to kill joy. It will begin to kill hope. And then all of a sudden, you'll be angry, balled up, and frustrated. And you won't be able to tell anybody why because the sin has taken you captive. It has to stop. You have to live in freedom. Because living in... And then look at the progression that comes along here. And can I just tell you something? Men, and, and I speak to men because I am a man, and it's getting increasingly more difficult to live a pure life in our world. It is so difficult. 
I am like you. I see it on the TV. I see it on YouTube channels that my son watches. I'm like, whoa, that is way too revealing of a bikini for a teenage YouTube channel. Get it off. Shut it off of there. It is becoming increasingly difficult. I just want to tell you something. Hear me. It's worth it. It is worth it to shut it off. It's worth it to stop. It's worth it to delete. It's worth it to end it. It is worth it because it's not just for you. Like we said, this stuff spreads everywhere and your son needs a hero. He needs somebody to look up to that's living pure in a world filled, as Paul said, with perverse crookedness. Your daughter needs an example of a man to marry one day. Your wife needs the man of her dreams. It's not going to happen if you're living in impurity. And it is just viciously putting an end to all of it. Making it stop. And then look at the progression that happens. So he says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. And then what will happen? Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What, is our, what does he refer to the world as? Crooked and perverse. It says the world is crooked and perverse. What's our job? Shining like bright lights. The world's crooked and perverse. What are we supposed to be? Shining as bright lights of joy in the middle of that. You know, it would probably do us a whole lot better shining and focusing on shining like a bright light rather than just complaining about how crooked and perverse the world is. What does he say? That's our job. Our job is to recognize, yeah, this thing's a mess. It's been a mess forever. I'm to be a light. I'm to be joy. I'm to be hope in all of this so that they can see it. So then he continues on. Third thing, if you want to have joy, Philippians 2 verse 16, I love what he says here. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. He says, hold firm. Hold firm to the word of life because if you give it up, you lose your joy. If you give up what God's promised you, you lose your joy. If you give up in walking this, you lose your joy. In my house right now, we've welcomed a newborn baby, and I had a seven and a five-year-old. Had, like I sold them. No, I still have them. They're, they're still around, but the newborn's taking up everything, right? Let me read you a list of what is in my bedroom right now. Just in my bedroom, okay? I, I just wrote this last night. It's fresh. <laughs> There's a sleeping wedge. Because, you know, you have to have a sleeping wedge. There's a bench at the foot of our bed because you have to have somewhere to sit. There is a bassinet that is this thing that's on a swivel that just swings everywhere. There is a monkey-fashioned rock and play with the vibration feature on it. There's a changing table. There's a mini rocker. There are those little things that, that rock. And then there is a rocking chair. And then there is about 200 hi-ho, cheerio little game pieces spread throughout my entire room. Okay? Uh, because my mom bought my son the hi-ho cherryo game, you know. And the cool thing to do was to take all the cherries and just throw them all over the house and not play the game. So that is, that is in my bedroom. 
right now. Now, let me tell you something that will test your taming of the tongue at 2 o'clock in the morning when you wake up and everything's dark and you try to navigate to the restroom, but you can't trip or fall or cuss or anything else because you're going to wake everybody up, right? And heaven forbid you wake up a newborn at 2 a.m. that just fell asleep. So you know what I look like in the middle of my room? Brad, give me the, there you go. I look like this. I'm, I'm like, you know, and you, oh, oh, cheery, you know, and then you got the bassinet, and then you got this, and you, yeah, and, and this is what I look like navigating. Bring it back up. You can bring it back up, right? The Greek word for hold firm is a visual illustration of holding a torch in front of you. So let's read the verse again, right? Because the Greek word is saying, you hold firm like you would navigating a cave where you can't see anything and you hold it out in front of you. Paul says, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain. So what Paul is saying is if you want to have joy, you navigate it like a dad at 2 o'clock in the morning trying to figure out how to get around the room. You hold this in front of you. And everything that you do, everywhere that you go, every step that you make, this is your guiding light. This is what's showing you what to do. This is what's telling you where to go. This is what's telling you how to react. This is it. He says, hold firmly. That word, hold firmly, it is a torch in front of me guiding my way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I hold it out here and I let it show me exactly where I need to be and exactly what I need to do. If you need more joy, you need this out in front every day. Daily presence, every day, right here, in the center of it, letting it set you up on the path that the Lord wants you on. Then we'll finish here. Philippians 2, verse 17. He says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Let me tell you, if you want joy, you have to say, even if. What will steal your joy? What if? Even if is living in joy. What if will quickly rob your joy? He says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Daniel 3, 16 through 18, it reminds me of this passage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go before King Nebuchadnezzar, and he sentences them to death in the fiery furnace, and he wants them to bow down, and he wants them to worship him. And what do they say? You have no argument with me here. They said, we will pray to our God, and we will be delivered. And then they say, even if he doesn't rescue us in this fiery furnace, we will worship him. Catch this. What if is a question, even if is a statement. What if is a question. What if is making me subject to my situation. What if this happens? Well, then it's going to do this and it's going to do this. Even if says, even if this happens, I'm going to rise above it and I'm going to live in joy and I'm going to walk with the Lord and he's going to see me through it. My wife was here. She is. Oh, yes. Surprised me. It's beautiful to see you with the baby. Everyone give Anna a wave. Okay, stop clapping. You're going to wake him up. Remember, we don't wake up that little booger. He's going to blow this place up, right? You know, I, I told her we have a story that we've been waiting to share. And we, we saw the Lord do a real 
healing work in our son. When he was born, he had shoulder dystocia, which if you're in the medical field, you know what that is. If you don't, I'll give you the cliff notes. It means that the baby's shoulder gets stuck during delivery. It causes a lot of pressure on the neck, uh, loss of airflow, loss of breathing. It's very, very serious. Our doctor told us, he said, everyone in the hospital holds their breath in that moment because you have to get the baby. You have to, however you can. So that happened, and we had never been through that before. I had no idea what it was. So he arrives, and he was motionless and purple. And I was, I was freaked out. I saw it. And you can tell, look, nurses, you tip your cat when there's like two of you, and then all of a sudden there's nine of you in the room, right? There's like, we went from like two nurses, everything's peaceful, to nine of them come in, and they're all right there. And I'm like, whoa, something's really about to happen. And so he's here. I cut the cord real quick. They set him on Anna, and they're literally shaking him to get him to wake up. He was motionless. And I was saying, is he okay? Like, is he okay? What's going on? And they're shaking him and they threw towels on him. And then all of a sudden he just, he, he came to, to life and he let out this little squeak, right? And so we're like, okay, all right, uh, everything's good. And they, they checked him. And later that night uh, he was having real trouble breathing. And, and what they told us is he had, he had swallowed uh, a lot of amniotic fluid because he was stuck. You know, his shoulder was stuck. He had swallowed a lot of that fluid and he had fluid on his lungs. They said he's got fluid on his lungs and he's, he's not breathing well. Uh, uh, so much so that we need to put him in the NICU. So they put him in the NICU and uh, Google this, fluid in baby's lungs not breathing well. That's where what if will take you, right? And then it was like, oh man, they're going to have shortness of breath. They could suffocate and die from the fluid in their lungs. They could have brain damage from cut off of oxygen. It's like, you just, you read these things. And we, we started to, we had no clue what was going. Our first two kids were like, have the baby. It's done. We go home. Everything was great. And this one, he's in the NICU and we're sitting there and we can only see him. And one of us can only go at one time with a mask on and wash your hands and everything else with COVID. We can't both be in there with him. We're getting to see him like every three hours for 30 minutes. And it's just, it's painful. Parents, if you've been in this situation, you know it's just that you're just, it's something is missing. And so we got to this point late in the night, really early in the morning, Sunday morning, where I looked at Anna and we were both just sitting there and I said, listen, we're going to pray. And we had people praying. Thank you for all those that were praying. We said, we're going to pray and we're going to believe God for healing. And no matter what, we're going to go with what happens. And so we come together and we just prayed and we went to that place of even if. Lord, it's, we're not living in what if. Even if we stay here. So the nurse had come in and she said, you're looking at least five to, four to five days before we'll think about letting him out to you. And we said, look, even if he's in there and even if we can't be around him, we're going to pray and we're going to trust God for healing. And we're going to believe that he's going to move. And even if he doesn't, we're going to be great. Everything's going to be okay. That morning, Sunday morning, the, the doctor came in and she said, hey, she put it some way. like I can't remember the exact words, but it was something to the effect of he has just had an unbelievable night. We don't know what had happened, but he had an unbelievable night. He's breathing great. And an hour before church started on Sunday morning, they actually brought him back into us. And we got to sit there and we got to worship together as a family, him coming back in. But I'm telling you, the reason we got to that place was even if, not what if. What if had us freaking out? What if stole all of our joy? We had just welcomed a beautiful baby into our family, and we were scared, we were worried, we were full of fear, and even if took us to a place that no matter what, even if we're going to celebrate this child, 
and we're going to worship together, and we're going to trust God. I'm telling you, nothing will steal your joy like complaining, like living impure, like giving up, and what if? It will steal it. But if you will root in, and you'll stop complaining, you'll live a clean life, you'll hold firm to this truth that guides you, and you'll say, even if, even if it doesn't pan out my way, the Lord's with me. I'm telling you, you will experience a joy that nothing can stop. Everybody, thanks again for joining us. We believe God has something great for your life, and we hope this message encourages you to take the next step in your faith. Have a great week.